Hey friends, welcome back to your favorite homeschool podcast. You're listening to season two of the Friends of Cabrini podcast. Go ahead right now and subscribe on Apple, Google, and Spotify. And make sure you go tell a friend. Hi friends, welcome back to the Friends of Cabrini podcast. Now listening to a new episode with your host, Julissa. And we have a special guest on. Her name is Alicia Wilson Alstrom. She's a veteran mm-hmm. homeschooler since 2011. An amazing wife, mother of three, a professional. She unschools, classical schooling and freedom schooling all in one in her homeschool journey with children who are 17, 14, and 9. Please help us to welcome Alicia to the show. Welcome. How are you? Good. How are you, Jalisa? Good. Good morning. Good morning. So, I I was looking and I see, like, it said unschooling and classical schooling and freedom schooling. How did you, how did you get started in your journey to, you know, be a homeschooler and how did you find yourself with so many different varieties, I guess you would say, of mm-hmm. um, maybe educational philosophies? Sure, sure. So we got started um, actually when my youngest was, um, he was in a, um, a, a water kindergarten, partly because we didn't believe in the kindergarten as the new face first grade philosophy that was part of our um Uh, school district at the time Um, and we were looking for um, a little bit more developmentally focused um, set of opportunities for them. Uh, We are also in a school district that on paper was well resourced but also had a really big achievement gap between black students and um, white students in particular Um, and we could not figure out for the life of us um, why uh, uh, at the time we were in a college town in Ann Arbor why there was such a gap um, in this particular community uh, that purportedly had resources uh, but seemed not to be able to target and aim them in in the right proportions to students. Wow. So give us a little bit of background about who you are. Sure, sure. So, I mean, I am um, a uh, social worker and ed policy person by like my professional training. So, and my husband parenthetically is trained as a teacher. Um, And so we kind of had the unique combination of knowing a lot about kind of the, how the sausage gets made (laughs) in education. So, um, and I have always uh, combined work and homeschooling. So I do um, educational policy work largely based out of DC, although my home is in Chicago, um, and work with both um, um, actually all three levels of government, federal government, state governments, and local governments on a variety of different um, 
policy initiatives related to the well-being of children, families, how to support um, educational spaces and community um, based work as my profession. So I get paid to think all day about what makes for a good, supportive educational environment in milieu. <laughs> and um, that led me and my husband, who, you know, had been in the classroom for 15 years, um, uh, to, you know, just think creatively about what, what about the milieu for the three kids that we most directly um, have, um, have uh, responsibility for so our own three kids. Wow. And so I know you said you're in Illinois. Um, mm-hmm. Have you seen over the years, Have were there, you know, any particular challenges with some of the state laws or any state requirements as it relates to homeschooling? Because I know you said you started in 2011. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. have you have you seen anything, you know, since that point that you feel might be interesting that people should probably want to know that stands out? That's a great um, question. I actually don't have a whole lot of commentary there. Um, We started homeschooling in Michigan, which is a very low regulation state. There's not a whole lot of reporting requirements. There's no one to really like, (laughs) I mean, unless you like seek, seek it out, no one to really kind of report to and there aren't testing requirements. And then Illinois was pretty similar. So um, um, even though my day job is to, to keep track of all kinds of policies, I do that within institutions. Um, and um, I just, you know, <laughs> kind of check check and make sure that, you know, nothing major has changed. Um, and we just keep homeschooling. So I actually, um, um, because of the states that we've homeschooled in, um, haven't had to do as much kind of, you know, tracking, tracking what we do in homeschool very closely to any kind of um, formal structure. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that too here in Illinois, mm-hmm. uh, very similar, it's very relaxed. But I'm almost curious to know, you know, with there being like such an influx of people who um, have decided to now homeschool, I'm, I'm just kind of wondering if some of the laws will possibly start changing after a mm-hmm. while with some of the states that have been more relaxed, like you said, with Michigan and Illinois. Yeah. 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 I mean, I actually am in in the camp of I hope not, mostly because I think that, um, (laughs) well, and again, like the the cynical side of me just and a little bit snarky side of me says like the state has all of its hands full just trying to regulate like what it does have jurisdiction over, which is like. The, you know, the public school system needs as many hands on deck to just kind of get keep that, you know, that ship rowing in some reasonable fashion. Um, like you don't need to like muck up with homeschoolers because the data that we do have about homeschooling is mostly that high regulation states no regulation or in somewhere in between states, there seems to be no evidence that, that, you know, um, you know, that changes, you know, the, the, the nature and, and ultimately the outcomes for homeschoolers. They seem to across the board be uh, largely successful um, and where um, th- there may be cases where there aren't as successful homeschoolers, like where you're really concerned about kids being in danger, that's actually a child mm-hmm. welfare issue. <laughs> so, right. Um, right. So that's kind of how I think about it. Gotcha. That's a, that makes sense. That actually makes sense. So um, I know we, we chatted a little bit earlier, a little second ago about educational philosophies. And as I was saying, I noticed that, you know, you mentioned that you guys do a little bit of something of everything. It's like a combination. 
Um, how, how does your children, I guess, adapt to the different educational philosophies that you and your husband have kind of decided to follow over the years? Has it been, you know, a little bit more structured than, than you know, something else that you might see in a uh, public school setting? Or, you know, what what's kind of been the thing? <laughs> yeah, sure. So, I mean, our philosophy has been super eclectic from the beginning, probably because in general, we're, we're dabblers. So when you dabble okay. in a lot of different things, you just get inspiration from a lot of different corners. I think in terms of my kids' experience, it's um, over the years, it's not so much that we've done super different things at different times, except where maybe like given their age, it was developmentally made sense. Uh, but that, so they've experienced our homeschooling as kind of one thing. I call it eclectic because I know kind of what I'm drawing from. So I have drawn from um, you know, Montessori and Charlotte Mason and classical and unschooling. Um, and so, so I kind of like don't do labels. I think I described the way that we approached it over the years as a really good, well, you know, reasonably resourced summer camp. Um, and if you think about summer camp, it is interest driven, um, but there are structures to the day. There's definitely the time when you're outside, where you're in usually the, uh, the materials presented in kind of more of a workshop, um, engaging style for kids. Um, you're not focused on assessing kids' skills, and yet every really well-run camp has very clear um, learning goals, right? It's just that the, the counselors are trained to kind of wrap it in, right, this, this, um, this experience that, that tends to kind of draw from um, student interests. Um, you make sure kids have some rest time, some outside time. So there's an underlying structure, and yet kids don't kind of you know, think, ah, oh, I'm going to math class and I'm going to this. And so we've really kind of taken that and we were camp counselors. My husband was a camp director at one point. So we, we come from those chops <laughs> um, and have seen a lot of different um, successful ways that education gets delivered without it feeling so schooly. Um, so that's kind of inspirationally our approach and what that's meant as a homeschooler is that we pulled a bit from you know all the different kind of approaches out there so yes. yeah mm -hmm. some of everywhere i love that i love that you didn't mention about no assessments which is kind of critical <laughs> I want to say mm -hmm. and depending on depending on where you are with homeschooling or with education as a whole um you know I know a lot in public schools a lot of the children get tested on mm -hmm. things all the time and sometimes there's not very much of a difference you know mm -hmm. between one test from the other right um Talk about what do you do instead of, you know, doing the assessments or testing children all the time? Because as we know, some kids might take tests, but they might simply just not be good test takers. But that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that they're not, you know, um, intelligent and, and things of that nature. Yeah. So what do you guys do to replace that testing thing? 
<laughs> so I think this is part of the advantage of having a one-on-one or one-on-three, however many kids you have or however, which are your kids you're working with scenario that's homeschool is that you can have deep conversations with your kids. You can, um, you can certainly, you know, we have had curriculum that had some kind of like self-assessment pieces to that and um, have used that, but you don't have to have that, have an outsized um, role at all. So if I want to understand what my kid knows about a subject, I can have a series of conversations with them. Um, that we can gamify <laughs> something, uh, yeah. something. So we, you know, we would do things like have like stair spelling, you know, tests, or even um, where my kids would like all go to the top of the stairs, um, or we'd use it, you know, for some kind of content or skill based thing where you know that kind of. Um, ask a question and get an answer and they would be at the top of the stairs and they could come down one stair when they got the answer correct (laughs) right (laughs) you know so we would like you know gamify things or I would just have you know a a long conversation with the kid to really assess them or uh, my kid might be reading and I would use tools that my kids didn't necessarily know like the uh, the Lexile um, reader um, um, there's like a Lexile reader converter where you can take you know a section of any text you want, put it in uh, the online reader, and it just kind of gives you a sense of, you know, what that reading level is. And so I would just listen for fluency, how fluently is, you know, my kid reading a certain set of things. And if, you know, right, I'm sitting there listening to them, either they're stumbling over lots of words and don't understand the context, or they do, right? That's a pretty um, simple thing to assess just sitting and listening to your kids um you know that kind of thing and then I would take a look at that and may not even really tell them but that would just give me a sense um of that and then we're big um big on like real world applications right there are all kinds of situations in the world where you just apply some skill set or knowledge to the real world and it's very apparent you know I think one of the easier maybe um things to think about is like you know do you know a foreign language or not so can you carry a conversation with a highly proficient or fluent person and can you um understand them understand you that you know that's an assessment right that's a real world assessment um you know um can you do a you know a science project and you know it's submitted at a science fair and get feedback right from um science you know teachers or people who are knowledgeable so our kids entered you know those kinds of science fairs and competitions and got feedback right you know about do you know do i understand the concept have i represented them well and communicated them well enough so that others can understand what i know so to me that feels very naturalistic um and my oldest didn't take a formalized standardized test until he was in eighth grade was the first time that he took anything approaching what most people consider a test because he had all these other rich experiences and so our joke in our in our um in our home was you're brilliant and now the test knows it too (laughs) you know yes so yeah i love that oh my god so much you said so much I'm, i'm thinking about just curriculum, resources, how you said using the world around you, natural learning, language, 
Oh my gosh, there's so many questions I have for you. Um, you mentioned gamifying everything, and I like your, your take on that. And when you said that you have them move down the stairs each time they answer the question, that's very unique. I've never heard a parent say that before, so I definitely think I want to try to implement that with, with uh, my son's homeschooling <laughs> journey. <laughs> That'll be really cool. But um, I wanted to mention, speaking of gamifying, do you guys play games? You know, just build your typical maybe board games or video games mm -hmm. as well to increase or help um, with learning as well? Yes, we have probably 50 games. <laughs> um, and Yeah, 50 games over the year. So like my oldest is 17. So like, you know, wow. I would get a couple, you know, two games, you know, you know, a semester. And, you know, as, as I see things would go to, you um, we we'll go to garage sales or sometimes, um, uh, you know, we we'll just buy a game that I heard other people do. We're on a game schooling forum for families that use games a lot. Um, what's a favorite? What, uh, what's a favorite for you guys? Yeah, let's see. So now let's see a favorite. Um, we have a range of math um, games. Um, actually, one of our favorite quick pickup games is a game called Tensy and it's uh, a set of 10 dice and you could do lots of different um, things with it that you can imagine. Um, so you can um, look at pairs, you can, um, um, so you roll the 10 dice and you can have, um, you know, your child quick do math games on all the sixes that came out of those 10, right? Um, you can do stuff on probability, right? Of course. So like there's a range of different things that you can do. Our favorite game um, at, at the current moment is a game called Wingspan and it's all about birds <laughs> and nice. um, building collections of birds. Uh, but there's a range of different um, things. Um, and then, you know, our kids have mostly independently of us, except for us to kind of check on content, have done um, a fair amount of gaming. And honestly, um, particularly coming um, the, through the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic, I developed a newfound appreciation for gaming as it exists today because it's a very social activity. And it was really a lifeline for my kids in a way that I wouldn't have thought of because, you know, I grew up on Atari. <laughs> you know, I'm that, I'm that <laughs> old. Um, I'm Atari years old. So, um, yeah, so, but, but they, would develop these um, social bonds and quite frankly, emotional bonds, right? With their friends, because there was a lot of like, I'm coming for you, I'm rescuing you. And a lot of social, quite frankly, language of emotions and of um, friendship and bonding that, that happened <laughs> for them. And I like developed a new appreciation for, and particularly for boys who um, in our culture writ large, tend to have fewer outlets that are that are considered socially acceptable to yes. use the language of friendship and bonding and I'm here for you and let me come get you because I see you're you know you're, you're you're down and the game allowed them to have all of that language right so you mentioned some great points and I think that's probably one of the things I would say why gaming is so underrated Are you enjoying the podcast? Remember to subscribe to Friends of Cabrini on Spotify. Now back to the episode. The point 
way that you just made, you know, about the camaraderie, the collaboration, right? Mm -hmm. There is emotional and social learning that's a part of that. And and I see that all the time. Um, I don't know if your children are familiar with or do they, if they play like Roblox games or Minecraft, things like that. Mm -hmm. A lot of those... yeah, a lot of those games have a lot of that in there where you have to work together. Yeah. So that, you know, it's, it's definitely underestimated <laughs> and, 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 and people kind of look over it all the time. But I definitely would encourage our listeners to pick up on some games, not just mm-hmm. video games. You know, the board games that you mentioned as well, I think are very, very good with building math skills, building comprehension, right? Memory, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So that that's really awesome. I know um, you mentioned some other resources earlier and you're referring to curriculum. And I know for us, when we first got started, I kind of really made all of our stuff. And then yeah. at some point I started to like maybe venture out into uh, the Teachers Pay Teacher site. Mm-hmm. and grab a couple of things here and there but we've never really been sticklers for using curriculum because I just kind of go off of you know what my son is interested in and, and make it a child-led learning what yeah. about you guys what kind of curriculum books or workbooks maybe have you kind of gravitated to over the years that you think our mm-hmm. listeners might find a little you know helpful for their little ones at least yeah yeah Uh, a lot of stuff (laughs) actually and I can send um send um something after the podcast but um a a range of different things so I was trying to think over the years um and uh, so this will be a just (laughs) a range of things and just stop me when something is interesting or you want to move on but there um there was a curriculum. It's actually um, curated um, as a preservation project by, I think it's a University of New York Stony Brook or something. And it's called CSMP Math. And it's for Comprehensive School Mathematics Program. It was a curriculum in the 80s. And, you know, on the point of Gamify, it's basically uh, the K through third curriculum is basically teaching math through a bunch of stories and games. Um, And it's high, yes, it's high level math. Um, It is a little bit time intensive to kind of start up because it has, you know, um, you know, about, you know, 15 or 20 manipulations to gather and that kind of thing but we used it um, quite a bit with um, our older two sons in particular um, and it was just um, such a fun engaging way to learn math um, the the research behind it were that the uh, the kids who went all the way through this program were just as prepared for high level um, ma- um, math um, algebra by the time they were in seventh grade as other kids um, and had um, just more um, um, like um, like like math language and like th- and saying things like I really like math right um, and um, less math phobia like those kinds of things so we used that and it was just a great engaging way to um, to start our kids out and just for you know parents who are really starting out yep you know my kid is at a math and science 
high school finishing out his junior and senior year uh, that's, you know, ranked, you know, nationally. So like the math works out in the end. Um, you know, he also did a couple of math competitions when he was older. So for those who are like, oh, it's the gentle math and the story math. Is that enough? Like, yes, it can be plenty, <laughs> you know, for your kids. They're not going to be 17, you know, still working on basic operations. Like you can get them to, if that if that's your, your worry or any of that, that worry that if I storify it or gamify it, are they going to be able to come out with like the math chops that people think of as like serious math? Yes. So that's an example. Um, we actually didn't do a whole lot of like curriculum for science. We did living books. Like that's where the whole like Charlotte Mason or, you know, some of those approaches like uh, really stood out for us. Like we just took um, science books where people talked about science that they were knowledge about and passionate about. So some of my favorite curriculum in quotes was taking a book. So um, speaking to the video, um, the uh, video gaming thing, we read Ready Player One, which is actually not a science book. But it has all of these really interesting, like, uh, science ideas around virtual reality. So we learned about how virtual reality works. We learned about coding. So we did a whole, like, coding thing. And we would read the book. And then when we come along a science idea, we explore that idea, whatever that would look like. Um, One of my favorite things is actually reading the Martian book. Um, There was a movie out about it as well. We read that book again, not a science book per se, but you know, scientists said that the science and right ideas behind it like really stood up. And so we followed this story of, you know, this fictional character who was left on Mars. What would it be to be left on Mars and all of the things that he had to do to survive. And we would do like science demonstrations, you know, um, around. So we grew potatoes when he had to figure out how to eat, you know, and we tried that in different so, uh, you know, soil. We, um, you know, obviously looked at like, you know, the solar system, the rotation of the planets. And we understood like, oh, there's like a window where you can get to Mars and a window where you can't. Well, why is that? Well, of course, the orbits are different, right? So like, you know, just being able to like talk about those things and, dem- you know, do demonstrations that at one point, you know, he had to do an 800 a day calorie diet. So we had an 800 calorie diet day, just that one day, because, you know, we can't be doing that <laughs> too often. And everyone presented an 800 calorie menu for the day, right? <laughs> you know, so like just, you know, having fun with it, but there's so much around you can take, any you know book that has a reasonable amount of science or science embedded in it and you can create a whole um you know a whole you know semester long curriculum on it um i am a big fan of you know in chicago and will tell anyone you can create a very solid upper elementary or middle school science program by just um, spending three years and just taking even one of the science museums in Chicago a year yes. and really going through each exhibit. And you don't have to like spend the whole day there. Just go for two hours, spend time on one exhibit. And then for the rest of the month, learn about all the science that you learned in just that one exhibit and then go on to the next, you know? Yes, um, I, I yes. agree. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. The Museum of Science Industry is phenomenal. There's so many things to see just got to comb through it. I I think you're absolutely right. We have had, oh my gosh, I think almost every year we've had at least two or three (laughs) trips there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we we take about two or three trips there and you're learning something new every time, you know, 
even with some of the exhibits that have been around a little bit longer, yeah. um, I think we still learn something from those. I know like they have one that's on tornadoes. Yes. Um, that's been a, that was a really big one for my uh, unschool <coughs> space, the children with my unschool space last year. Mm-hmm. So, or this year, I'm going to say this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, I love that. And, and well, speaking of resources, another um, good resource I think that you mentioned about you mentioned about books, I think is the library, yes. right? And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are really they really don't utilize the library to like the fullest extent, I would say, of how they should. And mm-hmm. I, I remember like when we first got started with um, our journey. We went to the library and, you know, initially started off with just like grabbing a couple of books. But then we started to find out that they had like these devices and computers and things that you could rent out and, mm-hmm. and, and take home. Uh, the DVDs you can take home and lots yeah. of good resources and things. So I know the library is one good resource for us, as well as, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, some of the museums and places what about you? What about some good resources that you've uh, seen for your children that they've kind of enjoyed over the years? Yeah, I mean, so I ditto on the library. Um, I, I, I am one of those people who says that you can start homeschooling with a library card. And maybe in yeah. 2022, <laughs> 23, probably the internet is useful. But that's like really it. <laughs> like, like you, I mean, you can start and get really far particularly with young ones on just those two resources honestly um yes you know you might want to put different bells and whistles or whatever on it but you really can um just get started and have a very robust thing and like you said uh, beyond the books a lot of the libraries you know have um like you can get free passes to museums often through libraries um it's certainly um, some libraries have like other things that you can check out depending on your library that um, you'd never know. We uh, have been in library systems that had things like binoculars like, that you could, you know, check out um, of the library. Um, and I know that the, the Chicago library system is, you know, um, you know, decently resources a lot of just honestly programming um, that happens through the library um, where you could go to the library, you know, you might have to go to different ones in different neighborhoods but you can go almost weekly for things that are really really interesting storytellers and sometimes they'll have like some cultural events <laughs> at the library or uh, a book author that will come like they, you know just don't sleep on <laughs> that as a resource yeah. um at I, all. I, I agree i know that uh coming up soon they have like some funds things going on at some of the ones on uh, more mm-hmm. um, West sides of the city and I was just thinking about while you were speaking I was thinking about um, what this now this is one that I will say I would prefer for them to open it up to younger children uh, but I do know that they have it for teens um, I know a lot of the libraries in Illinois have like a media maker center yes mm-hmm. and where the kids can kind of come in and they make like their own games they can learn how to sew they can make songs and things of that nature. So I think that's a really great one too, especially for kids that might be interested in building their websites or like podcasting and and things of that nature, because they can get started right there. You know, my son, um, over the summer, he had a chance to meet one of his favorite (coughs) artists. He met Chance the Rapper. Ah, And uh 
yeah, he talked to Chance about how Chance got started with making his music um, in the library, in the media center. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we found out like that that's a great space. They just, unfortunately, they just don't open it up to the children that are like about uh, 10 years old or younger. But right. for teens, they, that's definitely a great space for them. And I think some of the, um, we, we most often frequent libraries in the suburban areas too. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah. I think they, they have a lot of things too as well and, and they have like homeschool hangouts for families and things of that nature. So it, it's really mm-hmm. awesome. <laughs> yeah. So uh, same thing with parks, the Parks and Recs um, program. Um, and, and particularly, again, in Chicago, I know Parks and Recs has done a lot of, um, you know, things. There were the, uh, they do the Shakespeare in the park where they do kind of a, um, a shortened version of the Shakespeare plays at various parks. I know that happens in the summer. Um, we actually had a group that we hung with of about five five families of us and we toured many of the neighborhoods around the city of Chicago. I think we got to about 23, 24 neighborhoods and basically each of the families just took a neighborhood and we kept rotating where we, you know, learn the history and background of that. And the fun thing about it with the kids is that we'd always go to some kind of um, place to eat, you know, at least at a snack level, sometimes at a lunch level in that neighborhood. (laughs) So that was part of what you had to research. (laughs) It was also like somewhere, you know, to eat that was, you know, iconic to, to that area. So we went to Pullman and we went to Chinatown and we, you know, um, went to, you know, we went all around Creektown, et cetera, like just, just whatever people were interested in and whichever family, you know, would grab a neighborhood. We had a neighborhood map of all of the, um, 77 neighborhoods in Chicago and just kept going around and people would use, you know, sometimes if you, you know, knew that neighborhood really well or had context of the neighborhood, sometimes we'd get amazing like tours of things that aren't like even museums, but are really interesting sites or spots in that neighborhood. Yes. And did this whole history of Chicago neighborhood thing, but the history of Chicago is embedded in the history of the U.S., which is embedded in the history of, you know, right? So it was a very robust you know, it, you know, so thinking about resources and thinking outside of the box, you know, about it, you know, and I'm one of those c- crazy homeschool moms that will be like, oh, we're driving through the town that has the big piece of twine. Let's go see what that's about. Like, you know, <laughs> we, I, I will do that. We will like stop and go see the big piece of twine. Right. You know, and that's all kinds of open ended questions. Like, why would someone do this? You know, and how much twine do you think this is? And let's estimate how heavy we think this thing is, you know, all of that. So. I love that. I think that is awesome to give kids that much exposure and it definitely is a great geography lesson. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. I'm sure that with the work that you and your husband do, your children have been exposed to so much wealth of knowledge and as you said in real world time and real experiences um what kind of things do you feel like they might take away from you guys as professionals or do do, are they allowed to kind of tag along with you when you do some things for work as well Mm -hmm. yeah they do have that opportunity so i work um from home and that's how i combined um 
homeschooling and working for the most part. So one, I, my kids do kind of see me in action um, every day in some form or fashion. Um, they probably they probably know more about what I do um, all day than the average kid knows <laughs> because you know the black box of like what what do you do all day gets opened um, in a certain way when yeah you know we just did a lesson and then mom has a call and. Um, you're getting snippets of that. Uh, sometimes I um, would will have to travel, or my husband will have to travel. And um, if it's feasible, um, sometimes we've just done it as a family, um, like a family trip. Um, and you know, the parent who isn't you know there for the event is the parent who does the you know going on field trips, you know, with the kids uh, kind of thing. So we've done that. Um, and then also, you know, this, you know, this is obviously just our situation. We've been blessed because I work from home. That also means that, that I can, um, at least occasionally work from anywhere. So we've been able to do some road schooling, um, and, you know, you know, have my laptop and will travel. And so just even having the flexibility to be on the road and for me to get done what I need to get done work-wise, but then after that's done, be able to, you know, see the sites wherever we are. So we've been everywhere from Yellowstone to Grand Canyon uh, to New York City, um, you know, just being able to, to take advantage of that too. You just, you just said my favorite word, rose schooling. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I know a family that, you know, did the whole, like, leave their house and be in an RV for... Um, or I think they did it for two and a half years. <laughs> and, wow. I mean, we haven't done that level, but, you know, you can... You can do that level where you can do more. What we do is like about every, you know, four to six months, you know, um, find, you know, and sometimes it doesn't have to be something big. You know, we do a lot of just hopping over to Indiana or Michigan, which isn't too far, as well as, yeah. you know, some of the more far field things. But it's, you know, it's one of the things like once you make the decision to like break out of the box of going to school five days a week, like then like open up to like all of the different possibilities. It does not have to like just be at your house at your kitchen table, you know, every day. And in fact, and, you know, do what you do, like do you. But in fact, that would be, I would say an under maybe selling of the, 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 the immense opportunity that you could do home, yeah. in homeschooling to just do that. Yes, I agree. We, we started uh, our road schooling portion. We started in 2019, like right before the pandemic. And we started exactly how you said. We uh, did like the Midwest because we're, we're here too in Illinois. So we did like Indiana and Wisconsin and those spots. And then mm -hmm. one day it was just kind of like, oh, let's just go further, you know. Um, <laughs> and we, we what we actually did was we got a map and my son kind of like put these little stickers we got from Dollar Tree onto these mm -hmm. different cities and states and we're just now knowing like okay that's where we want to go next you know so every time we go somewhere different we mark it off been there boom let's go to the next one so that's awesome yeah I, I think you know set goals within your homeschooling right and mm -hmm. make it fun it, it doesn't necessarily have to be so overwhelming but um that's I love that I love that real roundedness and so you you know I know um, you share with me uh, Jago you share with me about how your son is your eldest 
is in a national STEM program. How has mm-hmm. that been going? And congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how did that get started for you? I know that that is a very well worthy a conversation to have. <laughs> sure, sure. So we homeschooled our oldest officially through ninth grade. Ninth grade, um, just for context, was the the height of the pandemic year, where most schools around here were just shut, you know, shut down basically in virtual. Um, and so when he was graduating from eighth grade, we were like, continue homeschooling. Um, do you want to go to a brick and mortar school, et cetera? So COVID hit, and he's like, well, it doesn't make any sense at all like join school now if it's just going to be online. So we continue to um, homeschool through that ninth grade year. And then in the state of Illinois, there's a public school, um, public boarding school that's a math and science academy paid for by Illinois tax dollars. Hooray. Um, And um, it draws kids from all over the state and you have to apply and put together application materials, almost like a mini college application in terms of the kinds of materials you have to gather in the application process. And he applied for that during that kind of COVID pandemic year. We continued to homeschool him. He did, um, at that point, he was doing a combination of some online classes, you know, so that's a whole nother set of resources is there's a whole industry of online classes for homeschoolers that they can take to kind of supplement what you're doing at home. Um, So he did his math and science through um, Johns Hopkins University and Stanford University had have high school programs for kids. Um, And so he did some um, higher end math and science than than I had the wherewithal to do during that COVID year. And it was great for him. And then I managed the rest of his subjects and we put together a transcript for him. Um, I uh, riffed off of a transcript from a mom who had homeschooled her daughter through high school and the daughter got into Harvard and I um, had emailed her and say, can I see your transcript and how you transcripted your daughter's experiences? Because she was an unschooler as well. So I was really interested in how to put the education ease, you know, behind all of the this rich stuff that was happening, but that doesn't happen in the boxes that they tend to um, put on school. So, and he applied um, to there and got in um, to, to that. And that was a good fit for that kid. Um, but, you know, my other kids are on different paths. So we didn't have any particular, like, thing that our kids had to do. We were just following the next natural course for them. And he happens to be... Um, um, just really interested in uh, math and science. I would say gifted in math and science, but I, I don't like the gifted terms because I think that sometimes those kind of get too boxed in themselves. And that's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother day. But, um, you know, he, he had a lot of interest that we were able to nurture in a lot of different, again, creative ways. You know, when he was, you know, six years old, he was really into dinosaurs. And I found this book called How to How to Make a Dinosaur Out of Chicken Bones. And we made a replica of an apatosaurus using chicken bones from three different rotisserie chickens. Yes, we ate chicken and we had chicken soup and chicken stew and all kinds of things that week. Right. And I cleaned that and got those bones out of the rotisserie chicken and he created um, a to scale model of a potosaurus 
Um, you know, so like that started like that kind of like just following the interest and you find yourselves like soaking chicken bones in your kitchen sink to follow the interest, you know, on to like one of our trips was going to Wyoming and um, we got to spend um, a day on um, a real, you know, uh, dinosaur dig site and, you know, um, help with the uncovering of one of one of the femurs from uh, the dinosaur that they were uncovering that day. So like just really following interest as much as you possibly can. And in this particular kid's case, it landed him in um, uh, a nationally ranked STEM school. I think it's ranked six in the nation as STEM high schools, um, you know, et cetera. So you just never know. Well, congratulations. It sounds like you guys are brilliant and doing everything amazing. So kudos to you being awesome parent of the super mom over there congratulations to your son wow (laughs) i don't know how to follow that up (laughs) are you enjoying the podcast remember to subscribe to friends of cabrini on spotify now back to the episode You mentioned about transcripts, and Mm -hmm. I know that is one that's kind of hard to do, right? When you you, Mm -hmm. you're kind of homeschooling, because like in most states, I guess it's not necessarily something that may be required, right? Uh, At least with when you're you know your children in the primary grades. How did you go about doing that? So like, and I know you said you mentioned um, you asked someone else for a little bit of assistance, but when you were creating your own, like, did you put put on his, the classes that he was taking or anything mm-hmm. in particular? Yeah. So, yep. So any class that he took that was, you know, like a battled it class with a name and an instructor, we popped that on the transcript and then we wrote a short uh um, course description for for it to just basically say this is what it covered or what it focused on. Um, if he received a grade um, for that, then we um, gave the grade. If he didn't receive the grade, then I gave kind of a kind of a um, a scoring or evaluation rubric, kind of one to five. And it actually wasn't great. It was more like meets standard expectations for you know in in you know, the, the case when he was in middle school for middle school or exceeds expectations for middle school. So for example, um, um, our boys were both on the science Olympiad team throughout middle school. Um, and science Olympiad is known for rigorous science. And so for that, you know, I didn't award a grade because I don't believe in parent issued grades, but I did say a five because there was again, a standard that I could say that he was doing above grade um, work in, you know, those particular areas of science, because that's universally recognized if you're on a science Olympiad team and you make it to um, regionals or states that you're, that you are, you know, by, by definition doing above grade work. Cause that's the point of science Olympiad is to push kids beyond their grade level. Um, you know, same thing for participating in math circle. Chicago has a wonderful math circle. So Chicago community, um, and the whole point of math circles is to give you again, um, math exposure beyond grade level. So that kind of thing. And then, you know, the, um, language arts that I was managing at home or uh, geography that we were, were doing in his um, ninth grade year. Again, I just um, 
did kind of a summary of what what we are studying and a little bit about the approach uh, that we are studying and then just assigned it either either like meets grade level expectations exceeds grade level expectations whatever was appropriate to that as well and just transcripted that and as i said i ripped off of the mom who, whose kid got into harvard and that seemed good enough to me <laughs> to kind of demonstrate you know what you know what you need to demonstrate for someone on the outside trying to read this transcript um and just put it all in um and i assigned a name to it if it didn't have a name i said okay what is this we did this this and this okay that's world humanities <laughs> right you know and it, I, I, I wasn't flip about it but i just thought about like what is that right in the education ease you know world so mm -hmm. now with some of your some with some of your maybe more diverse topics like i know some parents uh, or some children may want to hone in on topics maybe like uh, black history or yep. something along the lines like black world studies have you seen that come across as a challenge when i you know you put it on the transcript is there any backlash you feel from that or, or no uh, I haven't gotten that. Um, and again, I guess I'm of that, you know, so really fancy private schools all the time have these little specialized topics. So I guess I haven't gotten that direct feedback as backlash, but I, you know, I did a lot of reading of course titles and, you know, looking at syllabi when they were available online. And you know what the fancy schools that charge people 40,000 to 50,000 do? They, they wow. name stuff like that all the time, <laughs> you know, okay. revolutionaries and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, I can do that too, <laughs> you know, I can, you know, I can do that and I can put a course description together and I can do, uh, you know, the, the reading list and, you know, I, I will stand behind the, the, the rigor in quotes of what we put in front of our children because we care about our kids. <laughs> so they don't right. encounter um, things that are, you know, subpar. And I, I'm not, I, I know that sounds a little bit cocky, but I, I just mean parents care about their children. So we're not putting in front of them like stuff that's not worthy of study. <laughs> you know, now I may have a different definition like I may think that spending time doing virtual you know virtuality stuff is worthy of study but I'm, 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 I'm helping my kids have a context for that and understanding right you know what what about that is rich and robust and so you know we you know um, as the boys you know were in gaming one of the, the books that we read was Ready Player One which is an excellent book about what happens if the whole world became a virtual reality space and everyone you know every citizen of the world lived all of their lives in virtual reality well right you know so we you know we take right the kids interests and we help them kind of grow and think about it and have life experiences but also you know we, we took some time you know around the philosophy of like you know of that and so I counted that as philosophy class right so there's lots of different ways to kind of get at like what what folks are trying to get at when they mean well-rounded, educated individual in the world. So, you know, and I yes, Black history is part of that well-rounded, educated world. If, yeah. you know, not to be too political, but come on now, we live in this world where it's clear that a robust understanding of all of our experiences is important to being an educated citizen. 
That is true. I, I, I love it. You are so inspiring. You should mentor. Can you mentor me, another mom? <laughs> Seriously, if you haven't started to like think about that, please do. <laughs> I want to be first to start up. You should mentor. Mentor. That is, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Powerful. Wow. What, what has been your aha moment I would say for you or have you it sounds to me like you might have had more than one <laughs> but um what has been your aha moment when you know through your journey of homeschooling yeah gosh yeah hmm. that's a um difficult question so probably yeah I'll, I'll go on though yeah there's more than one so I can't can't think of one um so uh I think honestly probably probably what I would maybe the aha or the like little guidance that I would uh, present to someone who's more on the starting out in is it's a long game like you know so whether you whether you homeschool for you know two years or for 12 years um, or whatever just try as much as possible to kind of see the long game in it no particular one day um, will make or break <laughs> kind of this, you know, decision to homeschool. So um, with that, try to, you know, relax into into it. And I, I think that's probably the, the the viewpoint of being able to have a 17-year-old where I saw like, oh, okay, this idea worked <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> like, like, like he's about to launch and looking pretty okay, you know, kind of thing. So if you can have a long game view about all of it, um that would be maybe an aha that I've, that I've had to go to at different points particularly like when there's been times when I've been tired or a little overwhelmed or whatever to really you know have a long view um, and some of what comes out of that is like nothing needs to happen all five days a week or however many days you think about homeschooling or you're you're that homeschooling space or um, like and take take breaks and um, you know figure that half of homeschooling is not actually about the curriculum you you choose or the subjects that you're you're doing that it's about like how your kid is just growing as this amazing person and and having time and space to appreciate that um, uh, so that would be some of the takeaways. Oh, and the other takeaway um, on the growing as a whole person is that half of homeschooling is actually paying attention to all of the socialization things. And I don't mean it socialization as you have to like do a lot of worrying about how will my kids socialize. I think for many homeschoolers, they figure that out and that comes together just, just nicely and just fine. But um, to take seriously that half of what your brain power um, should be spending time on is like, just how is my kid being a social being in this world um, and less about like getting the curriculum right. I, you know, again, I know I sound like one of those grandmothers to be like, yeah, hey, I'll work out, honey. You know, but there is a little bit of, of that that I would offer to folks, particularly on the earlier time when you're digging into curriculum and you're trying to get all the, the pieces, you know, pulled together. Like just start with the library card and go and the rest will come <laughs> into place as you grow into yourselves. <laughs> wow. How do you balance out your work schedule with homeschooling because you work from home? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so my joke is very carefully. Um, so uh, 
Uh, so, you know, the some of the balance, I think, is for, for me, um, certainly um, I have times when I'm, um, you know, available. My, my kids at this point are very used to that, that balance and times when I'm like directly available and times when I'm less available and times when I can be bothered, but, you know, I'm working on something. So we have figured that piece out um, over the the years um, with them. Um, for my daughter in particular, and that's been mostly because my um, professional work has shifted over the pandemic. My sister, um, who had uh, done caregiving for um, so some of our elders, and so we had moved in our elders and all of that, they, they have since passed. But she actually um, didn't go back full time into the workforce, so she actually helps with some of the homeschooling of my daughter in particular. Um, as um, my work in the ed policy space um, and in the the, the well-being um, space has uh, exploded because the pandemic, you know, as we all know, um, uh, uncovered a lot of uh, deep needs. So I've gotten more calls. And so she stepped up into some of that space. So that's quite frankly, just want to be truth in advertising about about that. Um, so just enlisting other folks. And then we, you know, we do the, like the co-op thing. So I also recommend if possible, and if you can find it, if you have any co-op, any field trip day where you can hang with other folk um, and a one day a week or something like that to use, you know, one of your days where you're not directly like doing the, the teaching and the balancing and all of that. And it's really just, if I can get us here, <laughs> that's our day. And it's kind of structured for us. <laughs> I do think that that's helpful just to kind of clear your palate. Again, um, if it's with a group, it also just creates um, another socialization experience, not just for your kids, but for you with like-minded people. So if you can build something like that in your day where it's not just all on you <laughs> and the and the pressure that sometimes we can create for ourselves that's helpful and for me co-op is not I don't even like evaluate it from a is it getting my kid ahead academically it's just is it a spot for the day you know from 10 to 3 that we can just hang out and I don't have to organize it <laughs> like you know or you know yeah. if, if there's some organizing I can kind of show up and I've done my organizing piece and then I'm just enjoying you know whatever this experience with the group is for real that 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 was you know that that Chicago group where we did the neighborhoods you know we all took a week there was you know five of us and just every fifth week I had to like worry about organizing it but we both mostly <laughs> just kind of landed and like spent the day from 10 to 3 you know we would do whatever the the thing was to tour the neighborhood and then would you know eat <laughs> you know like I don't have, you know, like, the, I don't have to worry about that yeah. day. <laughs> you know, I just have to get there and, like, be ready to eat, <laughs> you know. So, you know, I mean, I'm joking, but those kinds of things that you build into your week or to your month or something where you do that, I think, are important. Oh, and declare holidays at any point you need to. Like, and just make up the holiday. Yeah. Like, if you just can't do it that day, declare it a holiday. 
it's beach day, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like whatever. <laughs> it's it's lay in your pajamas day. Oh, you didn't know that was official day, kids? Yes, <laughs> this is the first official lay around in your pajamas day. Like you know, That's give yourself true. permission. Schools have holidays all the time, and they have teacher you know days all not the time. Not only did the schools, not only did the schools have it, Mariano's has it. The grocery stores have it. <laughs> you go. I kid you not, the the Mariano's by us, they have a calendar on the wall and it says cheeseburger day. It's a, it's a different thing. So, yeah. This is a great conversation with you. As we were thinking about like looking forward, what are some of your goals for the new year for 2023? Um, and how do you plan or intend to support your children? Ah, Yeah. So 2023. So let's see. Um, so my daughter's in fourth grade. So I, I am thinking about the middle school years and thinking about what would be really, um, engaging ways to kind of think about her middle school years. It's a little early, but I like kind of thinking about the journey ahead. Um, want to do some, uh, more travel with her. She is my um, my last homeschooler um, right now. And in some ways, having just the one kid to grab and go and not have to think about how we're affording, you know, to pack five people, you know, or, you know, to, 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 to have five people travel can make that a little easier. Um, to that point, we're actually um, going to go to Ghana this spring um, with her and my middle son, even though he's... Uh, um, he is back in high school. Um, he's just a freshman and we, we made the case, um, to, to, uh, rest him from school for 10 days. So we're going to go to Ghana, um, in the spring. So planning that, um, and then, um, probably just helping my oldest, uh, son with his college search. And even though that doesn't necessarily feel like that's related to homeschooling, I will say that the experience of homeschooling has totally, um, changed the way in which we, might have um, otherwise approached a college search. We are much more interested in him really having, quite frankly, a homeschooling-like college um, and, and really exploring the and, and thinking out of the box about what he wants to do and what is a college education for and is it college or is it college combined with travel? And so we're just getting that journey underway with him and it's exciting to to have had this experience of homeschooling and to do a little bit more out of the box thinking about what the, the post high school world can look like. Um, have either have either of your children like already kind of selected career paths for themselves yet or, or are they still thinking mm-hmm. about it? Yeah, I mean, so I think generally he's he's pretty sure it'll be something in STEM um, for sure. He's very interested in physics and in engineering, um, and he had the op- an opportunity to spend some time at University of Chicago last summer um, in quantum physics. So he got some he's gotten some good tastes of what that that might be and look like. So I think yeah, it'll be something STEM related for sure. For the oldest. Awesome. Yeah. That is so wonderful. Well, again, congratulations um, with all of these things that your family is doing. And so we usually like to end the podcast with, um, we usually like to end the podcast episodes with one fun question. Hopefully all of them are fun, but this will probably be the most fun one. 
Um, it's our 70s, 80s, 90s, and I think we're just going to officially add in the early 2000s. <laughs> Um, so from either one of those decades, is there any like TV show, film or song or anything of that nature that kind of may represent where you guys are uh, with homeschooling right now? Maybe this year, this week, this month? Mm-hmm. What do yeah. You think? Yeah. No, that's a really good question. Um, and I, I was trying to think about this last night. So I would say... Um, so we went on a, um, and this is this might not even be something that a lot of people do anymore. We went on this whole kick where there was this show called Brain Games, which I think was in the early 2000s. Um, and it was just all of these like brain, you know, how does the human brain work? And it would like basically gamify, right? All of these um, brain psychology, um, uh, you know, uh, concepts and ideas. And so I think, yeah, uh, I would maybe liken our current homeschooling to brain games, just being super curious about like how our minds work and like what, you know, and having lots of different experiences to uh, test out and experiment out with different parts of like just how our brains function and our bodies function. And I think, um, yeah, just being open to the wide, wide range of things um, has been kind of the North Star and um, what we have been trying to um, maintain this year. So I'd say, I'd say that, yeah. Awesome, I love it. I think for us, we are, ending this 20 uh 22 year with fresh friends <laughs> yes yes i think my son is like will character where he's kind of still trying to find himself but he's all over the place like he knows <laughs> what we like but he's he's dipping and dabbing into something else and yes we we're surrounded by um a couple of family members you know his great grandparents and stuff so we kind of get to adventure and learn alongside now with them now and mm-hmm. that's cool so i would say fresh friends of it's fun it's probably gonna change it usually does yes <laughs> but yeah that's pretty much us though um so where can our listeners reach out to you if they would like to learn more about your fascinating and amazing inspirational experience to the world of homeschooling or be mentored, as I said, I think you need to mentor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they reach out to you. Sure. Yeah. I actually um, um, don't have like a whole lot of um, social media um, handles in that way, but folks can reach out to me. They can reach out to me by um, my just good old fashioned Gmail if they have anything that sparked their uh, their curiosity um, or uh, if any of the resources I've mentioned. Um, I think I mentioned to you and prep for this that I made a whole homeschooling guide that's about 30 pages long for some emergency homeschoolers uh, in COVID, which, you know, kind of put together a lot of resources and some of the thoughts that we talked about here um, that I'm happy to share with folks. And so that's just actually my whole name, Alicia Wilson Ostrom at gmail.com. And I'm happy to, um, to uh, chat with folks about that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Listeners, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. It was so much fun and I learned so much. So many good notes today. Um, Feel free to reach out to Ms. Alicia as soon as possible (laughs) because you definitely want to connect with her and continue to 
subscribe and follow the podcast here at Friends of Caprini. Until next time. Hey friends, so did you enjoy today's show? I know I sure did. Go ahead right now and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Google. And make sure you tell a friend.